you know, you don't have the choice. You have to do things that you're not inspired to do and you have to kind of like get through it. But when you have a choice, I mean, at least when you have a choice, you might as well only do things that inspire you, you know, because yeah. the, re- the rest of the world will take care of the rest of the shit. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. I think it is a really good one. In it, I interview Tyler Hilton, who is a real renaissance man. He is both an actor and a musician and has done tons of other awesome creative endeavors in his life as well. But uh, man, Tyler's stories of how he got into acting and how he got into singing are two of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard in my entire life. I am not going to spoil anything, but they are so, so awesome. And I can't wait for you guys to hear them. Tyler plays Chris Keller, or played, I should say, Chris Keller on the TV show One Tree Hill, and he currently plays Charlie in the show Extent, and he also played as Elvis Presley in the Golden Globe and Academy Award-winning movie Walk the Line. He, um, on the music side, has nine different albums, as well as sang two of the songs on the soundtrack for Walk the Line, so... Despite being only 32, he has done a ton, ton, ton of stuff, and it's just such a nice, impressive, cool guy. So without further ado, here is actor and musician. Tyler, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Dude, you got it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I am hoping for once, I shouldn't say for once because I love Wikipedia, but I'm hoping that Wikipedia is not letting me down because according to a Wikipedia article, your history of how you got into music was like or how you actually got into the music industry is the funniest, most awesome, crazy story I've ever heard. Is this true about Mark and Brian and stuff? Oh, y- yes, dude, straight up. Okay, like, please every- tell this story for everyone then. This is amazing. It's literally like uh, one of those like random Cinderella stories where you're just like, no way. Yeah, like I, I was calling into this radio station to win tickets to a Johnny Lang concert, and I was 15, and um, to like win tickets to this concert, I sang a Johnny Lang song on the air with my guitar. Cause I like played these coffee house open mics and I would learn like different songs, like Johnny Lang songs. So it was like, so, um, they gave me, the, I won the tickets and then they like, you know, liked my voice and they were like, you know, you, I would love to hear some more songs and like had me come on the show and, um, you know, they had me call back and play some more songs just into my phone. Then they were like, why don't you drive into LA and like come <laughs> on the show live? And then they were like, why don't you play at our Christmas show? And then they just started like taking me to different cities that they, you know, were, oh man, it was they would do different like uh you know interviews because they were one of those shows that were just broadcast around the nation you know yeah. so they have different kind of like sister cities and yeah mark and t- brian were huge back then oh, they yeah. were so Her- big yeah yeah so, so some people don't know who they are but if you know who they are it's like you know they they really had like a huge reach so it was pretty wild that i even got on the air to try to even like talk to them because i was a huge fan of them in high school like i listened to them all the time but then when i started you know, hanging, you know, and they were helping me out. It was, it was wild. It was really, really strange. And so what happened on that first phone call? Like, did they, they obviously like clap for you and said, you're doing a really good job. It, what then some producer of the show, like grabbed the phone and said, Hey, could you actually stay on the phone for a little bit? We want you to play some more for us or what, like what all went down kind of behind the scenes. Uh, it literally went down on the air. Like it's so funny. <laughs> it, it, my dad actually had it all recorded because at the time it was like such a huge deal, you know, for us. Cause we'd all listen to the show and I was just playing coffee houses and I was a freshman in high school. So like 
this was such a random thing, you know? And think about also, this was like, we're talking like the year 2000, you know what I mean? Like 15 years ago, um, or even, I think it was even 1999, bro. So there, there wasn't even like The Voice or like American Idol or none of this shit. It's like, this, <laughs> yeah. I was just like playing in open mics was like the best I could do. And then all of a sudden, like I'm on Mark and Brian. It was like, well, and they just said like on the air, they were like, can you play another song? Oh, so I was going to say my parents recorded it because it was all such a big deal. And you could hear on the recordings, they're just like, can you play another song? Great. Well, after the concert tomorrow night, can you call us back and play another song? And then I'd get off the phone and they'd be like, um, they, they would just invite me on the air. They said, would you mind coming up to LA or whatever? And then, yeah. And they, okay, cool. We're going to have our producers talk to you. Like all the ideas just happened on the air. So I was thinking like, this is happening so quickly. And then you would and play it, live in the studio there. Dude, but that's not even the craziest part. Do you want to hear the craziest part of the whole I story? would love to. Liter- okay. This is, this is the wildest thing ever that happened on that show. So I'm like in one of my studio appearances on their show. And I'm like 16 years old at this point. And they're like, do you have any like new songs that you've written? And I was like, yeah, I actually just wrote this song. And I wrote it about this girl that I saw. And she worked at a Southwest Airlines ticket counter in Seattle. And I was just on a family vacation up there. And I just saw her and I thought she was so beautiful. She must have been like way older than me, like 26. I thought she was so beautiful. I wrote a song about her on the plane. And I, um, you know, and so they're like, oh, that's such a cool story. So I played them the song on the air. This is all on the air, by the way. So after I get done with playing the song, they go, is that story true about the girl? on a southwest airlines i'm like totally they're like you know what would be cool and this is all happening on air like what if we try to track her down and try to see if you can play that song with her and i'm like this is the greatest thing i've ever heard dude i was like guys no i don't even know her name like i literally this is just a girl that i saw in an airport i just know she works at the southwest ticket counter in seattle dude can i swear on this show or yeah of course yeah okay cool i just wanted to know but i was like dude i kid you not they tracked this girl down i was shitting my pants dude i'm 16 years old like covered (laughs) have not even like i don't know maybe made out with a girl you know just like and they find this girl who's like a grown woman like a a full grown-ass beautiful woman you know yeah she's like they get her on the phone bro and i sing this song to her live on the air and they track her down and now i'm like talking to her on the air in front of like millions of people and they're like mark and brian are like yo so this is tyler he wrote the song about you he's 16 years old so then that happens then it gets crazier they have me play their christmas show this is like months later yeah i start playing this song on stage at the wiltering theater thousands of people right they stop the song in the middle and i'm dying like what's going on they're like before you play any farther we have a surprise for you they fucking flew this girl down from Seattle. <laughs> I never met her in my entire life, bro. Never met her. I just saw her and wrote the song about her. She must be like thinking, what the, what the fuck is happening right now? They brought her on stage and I'm playing this strange woman that is beautiful, you know, this song I wrote about her and I'm a sophomore in high school on stage at the Wiltern Theater, all on the air. It's that like, must have been the most terrifying, terrible. horrible experience ever. Dude, I had a couple like, experiences like that early on in my performing career that definitely like gave me a thick skin real quick because that's like you know you talk about getting up in front of your class and being embarrassed like that's crazy oh yeah for sure that was dying you know i was dying that would be so much yeah i can't imagine i mean yeah every high school student has um you know, like nightmares about showing up in class and all of a sudden you're just in your underwear or whatever it is. That is like that times a thousand. I mean, you are on in on this large stage in front of all these people that you don't know at all, you know? No, and, and it's like, 
you see somebody and you write a song about them, you're like, I'll never see you again or whatever. You know, it's just like one of those, like, oh, I saw you on the subway and whatever, like a missed opportunity or missed, you know, missed connection in the newspaper. This girl, like I actually saw again. And then this whole thing, then I like actually got to know her and stuff, which was so kind of awkward because our whole relationship is like built on the premise that I saw her in an airport and wrote a song about her. And, and then got manufactured by this radio station. <laughs> yeah. Just watch. So anyway, that was... That's the whole kind of like – so by, after all that died down, you know, now I had like all of a sudden like a fan base. Do you know what I'm saying? Because these people would listen to my songs on the radio. And so I'd gone from open mics and coffeehouse shows to like, you know, a decent but very small but definitely like a decent nationwide fan base. It was really interesting. That's incredible. And, and what a way to get a fan base too with that story with the, uh, the Southwest attendant because – I imagine through that whole experience and people that heard that kind of stuff going on on the radio, they feel so endeared to you, you know, like, oh, who's this cute high school kid that writes this song for this girl and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So immediately you um, you have this connection with your fans that someone just dropping an album wouldn't really have, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, you can imagine, like I can imagine now at my age, I'm about to be 32 on Sunday and I was 15 at the time. Like I, you know, if I'm, if I had heard that on the radio, a 15 year old kid, I would be like, this is so cool. And then it was also a cool way to start my relationship with my fans because every fan that I met in the beginning, like knew me intimately, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, like knew so many, knew my dad because he was always on the radio show too, because he had driven me up to LA and like <laughs> yeah. ended up being my manager and like traveling around with me. It was like, you know, they just knew so much about our family system. It was like, I mean, in a really, really small scale way, it was like being on a reality show, but just in a very small universe of Mark and Brian fans. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, totally, man. Well, yeah. if, if this, if, if reality TV was a bigger thing, that would have probably become a reality show, you know, yeah. like somebody probably would have approached you while all that was going down. If, if that was a thing back then. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, I assume since that was such an important like thing in your life, do you still remember some of the lyrics of that song by any chance? Like, what did you say about this yeah, woman? You can, you can. Um. So then, after the, w- this all went down, I put out a record. Um. Actually, in two thousand, maybe or two thousand one or something, and um, with all these songs on it, and that's the record. Like they played on KLOS, and Mark and Brian played it, and stuff like that. And it was just like for the Mark and Brian fans, but it's on iTunes, and the song's called "Not Getting Your Name." Okay. Uh, literally, it's called "Not Getting Your Name." That's- <laughs> It's just that you're so beautiful, but I didn't get your name. Uh, at least, at least it's respectful, you know. Yeah. Like, thank God it wasn't some like horrible song title. Like, I know, like, like bitch, I was checking out your ass. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> the flyest bitch at the airline. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, she. Uh, but yeah, so it's on. It, I think the record's just Tyler Hilton, and the cover is just like my 15 year old face really big so uh but anyway that that's where that song is that's cool man i'm gonna download that and just play that on repeat all the time so funny uh i love it uh so what i've had a couple other musicians on the show that both had a a kind of substantial period of grinding um you know when i know that you played in coffee houses and stuff prior to what happened with mark and brian but you were still you know only 15 14 years old prior to Mark and Brian, you know, I, the other musicians that I interviewed were grinding, you know, through their adult lives before things started to get good for them. What was it like to just be thrust into a big arena, like right away? It's such a young age and, uh, like get an early record deal and get early fans and all that. It was, uh, the best, like it was the coolest thing ever. It was honestly like just the right amount of like show business where I felt 
super cool. I was so, I mean, like, not in like a, like an asshole way, but like in a way of like, this is so fun. Like I loved my job. I like loved what I got to do. It was all the fans were so respectful. The other thing was, is the fans and by fans, I'm talking about like the 30 people that would come to my coffee house shows, even after Mark and Brian, it's not like I was getting hundreds and hundreds of people. It was like, you know, I would be able to play Sacramento, but you know, 30 people would come, but I could play Sacramento, you know, when I was in high school. That was cool. You know? Yeah. But like, they were all so nice and they were older too. So, cause Mark and Brian fans are older. So like, there was no, like, I wasn't like walking around with like screaming fans. Not even any young fans were into my stuff. It was only like people, my parents age. So it was like this kind of surreal thing of like, well, this is like pretty cool, you know, to get to travel around and like play my music. And my, and it's like, I wasn't playing like hard rock or anything that was like cool to like in high school. So it's not like I was, my music was like really popular. My high school was playing like, you know, Americana kind of like music that that wasn't that popular then unless you were like an adult. You know yeah, what I'm saying? So, so I was going to ask that you play like right now you play kind of like a folky country style of music. It was yeah. that the same kind of stuff you played back then. Yeah, it's always been that same thing. It's always been just variations of that, and like, and so it was just kind of like my own thing or whatever. But so it wasn't like really. So my whole point was I wasn't really feeling it in my day to day life. Like nobody at the high school really cared except their parents thought it was cool. It was on Mark and Brian. But as crazy as this all sounds, it's all very real, you know, small because Mark and Brian's still relatively small, but you know, so it was kind of in small doses that I got to feel and it was fun, like having a mailing list and like doing all that stuff. But you know, then I went out and tried to get a record deal after the Mark and Brian thing. And then it's like years of trying to get a record deal and everybody says no. I mean, just straight up no. Like, well, meet me. They'll fly me out. They'll like try some stuff. They're like, no, we don't know what to do with it. And this is kind of pre-John Mayer, pre like, you know, a lot of like the songwriters getting signed pre like Michelle Branch even. So it was just when it was kind of being like, you know, what are we doing with this like whole genre? Totally. Well, and that's so hard because the signing a young kid makes sense when it's just a really straightforward pop music totally. like a Justin Bieber or totally. NSYNC or whatever but signing a young kid that's standing there with an acoustic guitar playing folk music is like ah, I don't know like who do we put this in front of you know it's yeah it's and just like straight from like a marketing standpoint there you know it's, there's not it wasn't like a, a path that was kind of you know easily to laid already so for them it was kind of, and I'm like was too shy to like dance or do any of that stuff it was like wasn't my vibe you know like for better or for worse, it just like wasn't going to happen, you know? And so, um, so, so there was like all that kind of like struggle. And then, uh, by the time I got signed to, by the fi- time I finally fi- found someone to like sign me, it was like this intern at Capitol Records was like, I'll sign you as my first signing. So I was so excited. I was like, man, I'm gonna be on Capitol Records. I couldn't believe it. Um, and, uh, he got fired. And it was no just like one of, way. Yeah, so it was just like one of those things where I was like, oh man, this is just so then I kinda like quit the business and I, and and by this time I'm eighteen years old, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go to music school at Berkeley. I'm just gonna like forget this whole like business side of things. I just want to get into production and scoring and I wanted to be an actor like in plays and stuff, but it, I just didn't want to like deal with the business side of things anymore. And I went and traveled around Europe for a little bit with my friend, and while I was gone, this guy got another job at Maverick Warner Brothers and that he while I was gone he had pitched them me to them and they said yeah so by the time I got home from this trip in Europe they were like yo you've got a record deal at Warner Brothers so it was like random right, right at the end at the end of like <laughs> being done with the whole thing so and there's been so many moments like that where it's like and then I was on Warner Brothers for 10 years and only put out one record and you know so at every stage of like the career there's this struggle you know and I bet same thing with Coldplay going from acoustic music to dance music there's this like str- you know there's always kind of this like struggle to like keep it going you know oh yeah for sure man that must have been quite a an interesting 
charmed time though so what i imagine you graduated high school went to europe with a friend like a lot of kids do when they graduate high school and then came back and just had a record deal waiting for you yeah but this was like after you know a, a few years of like trying to oh major take struggle trips to new york of like and, and like trying to i met so many record company people in in new york and in la and even in toronto and like we just were going around meeting so many different people. They were trying to get me signed. And it was like so strange because at the same time that I'm like trying to, I don't know, figure out, you know, how to ask a girl to fucking the winter formal. You know, <laughs> I'm also like trying to be like my best self in front of this like super scary business dude in some glassed office. You know what I mean? It was just like wild. And then not only just the uncomfortability of that, which is like meeting the principal times a million, but then being rejected also and being like, oh yeah, that meeting. Yeah. They, they, they said no, you know? So it's like this weird thing. So by the time it did happen, I was a little bit like, well, that's cool, but <sighs> I was thinking about not even doing this again. So let me think about it. You know, it's kind of that attitude of like, let me even think if I want to do this. And, and I did. And it was great. You know, but. yeah, that's really. And plus, I mean, it had already fallen through once. So I imagine there's kind of the fear in the back of your head of like, is this thing, is this real this time? Like to what extent is this totally. actually happening? Dude, it's like heartbreak across the board. Like prof- it's just professional heartbreak, you know, where you really like put your heart into it and you get excited about picturing yourself in this like new future of yours. And then it gets pulled out from under you and you're, you're like left with like nothing like that. It's just so strange, you know? Yeah. And it gets like easier to manage, but like, especially as like a younger person, it's like a little strange, you know? But. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned all of these, these meetings that you're in trying to get a record deal. How do you even get those meetings? Like if I recorded a song right now on my computer, I would, I would just like show it to my wife and that's it. You know, like, I don't know who to show it to or how to get a meeting with people. How did that all happen for you? The, the, the connected dots here are my uncle, um, and a lot of his friends are musicians in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, some of their friends own a recording studio in LA. And when I was on Mark and Brian, I wanted to like record some of these songs I'd been singing on their show. And so they let me record my songs in their recording studio, which was like really nice. Like Fleetwood Mac was recording there, like Chris Isaac, like it was back in the day when there was still like record studios here. So I was recording there and my uncles were all trying to like help me make this record because Mark and Brian were all excited about this, this stuff. And there was a, a business manager who like ran payroll or something at that studio. And she became like a real big fan of mine and had started to manage different bands. Like she was managing Courtney Love. She was managing Tool. She was managing some random oh, people, Rod Stewart or something like that. It was really random, but she, her background was in business management and that's what she did for the studio. So she was kind of like, yo, let's, uh, you know, so I started talking to her and we had such a great vibe together. So she had all these connections in the business and was new to management, but really wanting to get in, her foot in the door. And so, um, she, she, so with all her contacts, she had a business management side, which was a ton of huge bands. Um, Fleetwood Mac being one of them, she was like, she, you know, started getting some of these meetings with people to kind of get me in the room. So that's how I even got there, you know? Yeah. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. You, uh, you, you need someone in your corner, you know? Yeah. And, and there's like, and it, it can come from anywhere, you know, it was just like, in this case, it like came from that and whether it was good or bad, I don't know, but I got in the room, you know, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's switch over to acting for just a little bit. So, uh, now let's parallel this with your, your first acting deal and, and how did this come about? Were you really trying to get into acting or was this an equally bizarre series of events that led, led you to your first acting gig? It's equally bizarre series of events or not equally as, a as uh, Mark and Brian, but pretty strange. So like my whole like hobby has always been like acting. Like I really, really love it. Like not in a, I mean, whatever, it'd be great to like be in like action movies, but like, I've just always loved being in theater. I was always in theaters, like a kid 
children's theater. And in high school, I was really involved, even though I was kind of doing the music thing. I was really into the acting side of things. So there was going to be this like Shakespeare competition in New York and um, my school entered and I like coached for it. And anyway, I like won the California division and I got to like fly to New York to like be in this Shakespeare thing. So it was like my senior year of high school. So at this point, like I'd already have my manager that I met at that studio. Um, her name was Victoria Blake and she hooked me up with, um, she was trying to get me an agent for my music to try to get me like gigs and stuff. And so one of the agents she wanted me to meet was in New York. And, uh, it was this guy from William Morris and, uh, she was like, well, Tyler's going to be there doing this like Shakespeare competition thing or whatever. And so this agent came to this Shakespeare finals that I did in New York and to meet me for music and then saw that I was an actor too. And was like, well, this is great. This like really helps. It makes it easier to sign if he does both. So they kind of signed me for both. And, um, and so by the time I was like 18, I didn't have a record deal yet, but I had this like agency that was like ready to start kind of like, you know, sending me out on auditions. But Pitching I was kind of like, no, I'm only doing like acting, I mean, music. I'm not doing any acting professionally. Like I'm a musician. Acting is just for fun. Um, and so it was, it was a while until they sent me out. I could even let them send me out on just musical auditions until finally they sent me out to be an extra in Walk the Line just to play music in the background. And I was like, cool, I'll do that. And they're like, a lot of musicians in LA are, call, are going in. It's just to kind of be in the background band. All you have to do is sing like a Johnny Cash song and they'll, you know, see if you're the right look for the movie. So I was like, cool, that, that sounds like fun and kind of in line with my music. So I went and I sang a Johnny Cash song and they were like, do you know any Elvis songs? And I was like, Elvis was my favorite from the time I was a kid, like the one and only Elvis. I was obsessed with him. So I was like, I know all of the Elvis songs. <laughs> Played them like as many Elvis songs as they wanted to hear. And then they were like, uh, well, cool. And then they called me back. They're like, you know, they want you to read some lines as one of the characters. They want you to read for Elvis. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. So now I'm like reading Oh, lines. my God. And, and then uh, – and so then I got the part. And then uh, I was just telling someone this story the other day. It's so weird. I haven't even thought about this in so long. So then they like they, – my agent called me. They're like, yo, so – they want you to, you know, play this part in this movie if you're into doing it. And I was like, you got to tell him no, because here's the deal. Elvis is too important to me to fuck up. And I'm not an actor. And I feel like I've gotten this far because, you know, I've like done acting before, but like, I'm a musician. Like they want an actor for this. So I told him like, I don't think this is going to work out. I'm going I'm to say no. And all my agents were really bummed. Oh my God. I bet they must've been losing it. They were like, they, were, they couldn't believe it. And I was like, n like 19 or something. And so I, I don't know. I just thought like this stuff happened all the time. And then, so then I, I kind of said no or whatever. And then like, I shit you not, dude, I'm in a hotel lobby bar and i don't know why but i i see joaquin phoenix across the bar my friend's like oh dude there's that guy that's gonna be in your movie you know because think about it, before walk the line it wasn't like he was the biggest star ever you know he was just like you know that guy walking phoenix so i was like oh yeah so i went up to him and i was like dude i don't know why i went up to him either it's like such a like now i wouldn't have done that but at the time i was like hey man i just want you to know i tried out for the movie and it's so cool and i was talking to them about playing elvis i don't know if it's gonna work out but like you know i think it's such a cool movie and like nice to meet you and he was like dude you're tyler hilton i saw your audition tape for elvis you gotta do it and i was no like, way yes and i was like what, what do you mean? He's like, here's the thing. It's something like they were like, watch. I don't know what the deal is. They were watch something, but he told me, he's like, look, I know you're like nervous about doing it, but it, I promise it's going to be one of those things where there's going to be like a lot of uncomfortability or something like that. He said, and I told him, I said, I'm not an actor. He was like, yeah, but they're just casting musicians for these other cameos. So none of the guys have acted. And he, and he told me, he's like, plus Reese and I um, don't sing or anything. Like, so he's like, and so we're kind of like learning that. So it's going to be like one of those vibes where everyone's kind of out of their element. And I look back now and I think like, 
so cool, A, that he like took the time to like say that, like yes. life made, you know what I'm saying? But like after that, I walked away and I was like, holy shit, I think I'm totally going to do this. This sounds so fun. Um, and so I, and so I did it. And that's, that's the first acting thing I ever did was like walk the line. Cause I ran into this dude. And so strange. yeah, not just in the, not just in the movie as a background person, like you were supposed to, but playing like someone that you idolized, that's gotta yeah. be bonkers to actually like personify someone that was an idol of yours. Yeah. And not, and honestly, like, not that like my like career isn't like full of like random stories like this where all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute here. There's just like a couple of super random ones. And those two, like how the two catalysts and like both my acting, and my music were so strange. Do you know what I'm saying? That like, really, if like, if I hadn't been in certain places at certain times, which I guess they always say, you know, but like, it really was just random and just luck that like both those things, you know, it was like crazy. Yeah, for sure. And it, with the with the acting thing, just so nice that you had these people kind of guiding you and helping you helping you through at a young age. You know, I mean, yeah. people people it, like when you look back on decisions that you make when you're younger, it's like you know you can do some pretty boneheaded things. And like like you said, I mean, th- assuming that maybe uh, like movies like Walk the Line are just gonna come back to you at other times really easily and it's no big deal, you know. Um, until you get older and you realize that is a really big deal, you know? Um, so well, yeah, yeah like, so great for Joaquin. Things don't matter. Like, mo- like money doesn't matter. Career status doesn't matter. You know, like there's no pressure to like be anybody or like try to put on any airs. That's the great thing about being, you know, a young adult is that like, but you know, over 18 is that like you, you have the freedom to do whatever you want and no one, expecting anything from you you know what i'm saying so it's like but it also can be really scary because i found that like having pressure on myself or having some kind of pressure really helps me be productive do you know yeah. what i'm saying because all of a sudden you get very focused you know what i'm saying absolutely so. absolutely man um so for those of us like me that have absolutely no idea um take us through like a typical day on set and what it's like, it, like how many hours you're on set for if, if you have like a, it's your kind of day shooting and it, are these, is a day on set different when you're on a movie versus a TV show? Yeah. Um, every movie's like totally different. Um, every TV show is pretty much the same. Um, cause, uh, the TV shows, you know, there's so much being produced in, in such a short time. There's got to, everything really stays to a schedule, but like, for instance, like, and, and but every show is, I guess, like a different schedule. I'll, I'll just take you through like Extant, which is the show I just finished filming the second season on. Like, um, you know, I don't know if like people know. Actually, I don't know if this is like common knowledge, but there's such a thing as like you can work as late as you want, but you can't start the next day until 12 hours later it has to be a 12 hour turnaround for the crew. Oh, so whoa. typically on Mondays you start really early, like five or 6am. And by Friday you're, you're not finishing up till like 4am because you can work as late as you want. Like I said, but you just have to have that 12 hour turnaround. So on Monday, if you work till 10 at night, it's totally fine, but you can't start till 10 the next day. You know what I'm saying? So the pushes get later and later. So anyway, so like, the hardest part is usually beginning or end of the week when you're working really late or really early. But like typically like say like you get called in at like, you know, whatever, eight or nine, like a regular job and you're, you know, in your trailer for like a lot of it is just managing your energy because there's so much downtime. So I'd be sitting in my trailer for like 20 minutes to 40 minutes. I'll bring the paper or just like drink some coffee or just like catch up on emails. And then like, while also trying to like read the scene and get into what's going on that day. And then you're in hair and makeup for like, 
you know, 30 minutes maybe, and then you're back in your trailer for probably an hour, an hour and a half. Damn, that's a lot of downtime. Oh, man, they just build in all these, like, time cushions, you know, diva time cushions or, like, oh, something fucked up with the shot time cushions. So everyone's just ready at any time, but there's all this, like, just waiting around. So, I mean, for me, it's always about, like, how much coffee or water to drink, how much energy to have before I crash, you know, because, like, you could be standing around for hours and all of a sudden they're like, I've gotten there at like 8 a.m. before and they don't even use me till after lunch, like 1 p.m. just because something's taking too long. And it's like, you know, it's like trying to watch movies or trying to do shit that won't like bum you out, but like will keep you busy. You know what I mean? Because you have to stay on, you know? Yeah, and definitely. At some point you like go to set and you'll like wait around there for like 30 minutes and like rehearse the scene and then just kind of sit there in your chairs while they set up, you know, the lights or whatever. And then you film it. But by the time you film it, it's like, I mean you forget you're even like, you know, so it's, it's very strange, but, but when you're on like a sound stage filming after you leave your trailer, you're just kind of in this tiny little fake world with all these people for like all day long. So it's like almost like being at a campground because you're just moving your camp and moving your like chairs and everything as they're shooting different angles. And like, I don't know, it's really strange. You just kind of do that until lunch. And then you have an hour in your trailer for lunch and then you're like back on set, just like chilling again. I see why people smoke so much back in the day. <laughs> Man. Do you always have your own trailer? Or do they sometimes give you trailers to share with other people? No, you get like your own trailer. Um, but you, uh, you know, like you, you may have like, it may be two trailers, you know, like two rooms per, you know, full trailer or something, but they're always like private or whatever. Okay. So but, you mentioned all the downtime and everything something I think about from that is, um, like in my previous job or, or I, most people with any job can kind of relate to this, um, which is, I guess, the analogy of where you're driving in your car and you realize that like five minutes have passed and you just like weren't paying attention to the road. You know, like you don't know where the last five minutes went. And yeah. sometimes you get so kind of tired at your job that you're just kind of on autopilot at your job. You mentioned managing your energy and getting called out there on set. Are, do you always get kind of like a shot of adrenaline and endorphins and stuff when you get out there to act and no, kind of no matter when in the day it is or what's going on? Or do you sometimes feel like you're just going through the motions when you're acting? I feel like I don't feel like I'm going through the motions when I'm acting, but there's a lot of like there's a lot of things to like fuck with you before you do a scene that you really have to like mitigate, you know, and. And so it's like depending it, – so it always – my mood kind of depends on how many of those things I'm having to deal with. And some of those things maybe I hate the clothes I'm wearing or I hate the way my hair looks today. And normally that would be something that would be stupid and you'd want to shut that up. But when you're about to be on camera or like this episode is going to be seen by like four or five million people, like those kind of things get very stressful. You know? or <laughs> yeah, like, that's a good point. Or like oh, you don't remember your lines or there's this one scientific thing they want you to say that you just can't pronounce. you know, Or, or somebody you know, you're um, acting with is like – you know, being like really annoying. It's like, you're hard to like, I don't know. You know, there's just like so many things, you know what I'm saying? Most of the time, like everyone's so cool and like all just like trying to help each other out. But like those that managing those things are like a little tough, you know? But, um, but other than that, it's like when, when you're like actually acting, that's the best part of it. You know, I'd say that the actually one creative part of acting, I feel like is the rehearsal. Cause that's the only time you get to come into, say you and I are doing a scene in an office. The rehearsal is when you come into the office where you're going to film it 
all the cameras and everyone get out of the office and you and the director just figure out what you want to do. And so it's the first time you get to like play in the space and do, you know, figure out what the reality of it. And then once you figure it out, yeah, this feels good. Then you do it again and they put marks down. Then you do it again and the cameras feel like where they're going to, you know, but the first time you do it is where anything's possible. After that, you're doing that exact same thing you did in that one creative burst. You're doing that same thing for the next hour and a half. Yeah. You're just repeating, 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 and they're just going to take the best take. from different angles, from behind your shoulder, from just your hands, just the back row. You know what I mean? It's like, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. So uh, hopefully this isn't too like dumb of a question, and I'm sure this is something that you probably get asked a lot. But I just have to know because so uh, I just got married, and through emails I learned that you just got married. So we both just got married. So congratulations! Yeah. Um, it's super great. Um, but I. I can't imagine what it's like. So I, I saw that your your wife is also an actress. I can't imagine what it's like for either of you to see each other in scenes with, like romantically with other people. Is is that weird or is it just totally cool because it's acting? So no big deal. It sounds like it would be really weird, and you wouldn't be able to like relate unless you were in that moment or had been on set before. But is the least romantic thing. And in reality when you're doing it and it's because you're thinking about so many other things that the fact that you're that you personally are kissing this other person personally doesn't enter your brain and i would have said that's bullshit to you but i remember the first time i kissed a girl i had to kiss sandy in greece in a play in high school and the director (laughs) was gonna make us kiss for real and i was stoked i was like this is great i'm just gonna get to kiss this girl and we even got to practice it in rehearsal and i was so excited and it was never good like it was never like because you're thinking about so much stuff and i could never get and so for all the girls that i've kissed in shows or whatever like it's never like what you think it's going to be because it's actually so much work going on and and i know that sounds like bs but it is so i i don't think so i think like you know it when i've seen that happen with her whatever i never like see her doing it or whatever i see like you know like the choices that she was trying to make and like the character and like the whole thing, you kind of get lost in the story, but, but it's not like her doing it or like me doing it or anything, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, lucky that you guys both do it. I wonder if that's a hard thing to try to explain to, you know, somebody that's not in the industry. I mean, well, you you just did explain it, but there's a difference between explaining it and knowing it and feeling it, you know? I think it would sound like bullshit unless you'd gone through it. I think we'd have a lot lot like bigger problem for sure if like if one of us weren't an actor because like I would be like, how is that not like the real thing like i just wouldn't be able to run <laughs> yeah. you're staring into his eyes right now what do you mean you don't yeah. notice he's there and in our case like i think it's like an absolute like necessity that both of us like understood what the other's career is like we, our, our careers are so similar and for uh, for our relationship like that like really had to be because there's so much random shit where whether it's traveling or whether it's like weird stuff like that or whether it's you know whatever it is that that it really helps um more of the way more of the time than it hurts to like have somebody that knows what you know what you're doing so you're not explaining every strange thing you do which you know in what we do we do like live a little bit different lives than like our family or a lot of people we know you know it's like a strange business you know yeah of course so now let's kind of i guess combine the two of acting and music and how how are you deciding how to spend your time and what it is that you want to do and is there one that you're a little bit more passionate about than the other does that ebb and flow and that's how you're spending your time yeah, I try to like. I've been trying to like break up my day into like at least 
two parts so I can like get everything done because there's starts to be so many things that I'm doing that things really start to suffer. So like I've been finding that like if I can get the stuff that's naturally coming into my inbox and like stuff that I have to deal with no matter what, not work I drum up or creative songs I want to write, but just like shit that's on my radar. Like I, I like try to get, take care of that kind of stuff, whether it's calling time Warner or like doing house stuff around here or like, you know, having to like figure out the record cover for like this live record we're putting out in a few days. So like that kind of stuff, you know, the real like uncreative, truly stuff. mandatory things that if you don't do it, it's going to fuck everything up for you. And that's just like being the boss of like my own small little company, you know what I mean? Which is like this self, you know, this self-employed thing. I do this little like music and acting business that I, that I have, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's just all that kind of stuff. And then like, when it comes to the creative side of things, like I, there's so many things I want to do. So many songs I want to write and like script ideas I've been wanting to write and like different things like that, that like, I have to like really focus them into a few priorities, you know? And right now I'm working on a new record. I'm writing this script that I'm like really excited about. And I've like just started getting into writing scripts in the last couple of years. And I love it. And it may go nowhere, but I want to like chase this curiosity to see just like the salsa idea for those of you guys, I guess, I don't know if we were recording. But no, we weren't recording them, but that's good. You should tell them that. <laughs> but like I, for a second, like I was really interested in like making salsa and, and I feel like interest is like, the most exciting thing you have to like listen to that and then like all the work has to go behind the interest but the interest is like where the spark is and so i like chased this salsa thing down for a while and then it like burnt out because i wasn't interested anymore but you know sometimes you continue chasing things you're interested in and it becomes your whole career you know like music but like but so for with these scripts i've just been like chasing writing them because i'm so into writing them and i get to write these stories i have in my head in not songs but in like fuller forms coming from the point of view of somebody who like acts a lot. So it's been really fun. So like I try to keep it to a few projects, like this new record I'm working on, some new songs I'm writing and like this script idea. And like, if I get some other idea, I try to put it on the back burner. So I'm trying to like focus my creative output and then um, also like take care of all my business stuff. But I'm finding, and this is just how I structure my creative time is that like, I find that I make the best art sometimes when I don't have to. So even though I have these like three things I focus on or I try to like touch on or whatever daily, if I'm just not feeling it, I don't force it. Cause like shit can go real sour real fast. If you're like forcing yourself on anything on yes. a song or on a, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you just have to like really do that balance of like, I'm going to check in with you and see if you interest me. But if you don't, I'm moving on. You That's know? such good advice. Cause as soon as you start to resent something for whatever reason, like in that yeah. case, if you're overworking it, it is almost impossible to come back from that point of resentment. You know, even if then you, even if, if you work yourself so hard that you've become fully resentful of something, if, and then you're like, okay, now I'll take a break. Well, that break yeah. is, you can't undo the problem you just caused. Like that resentment is kind of going to remain, you know, with or without the break. Well, and I also say that it's like a pendulum and I don't know if this is a truer of life or just more of my life, but like that it's, that it's always a pendulum. And like, if I'm going to get burnt out on something, like I got really burnt out on touring, you know, like I was touring for like 10 years and I was like, just got burnt out on it. And like, like, so I just only do a couple tours now because as far as the pendulum swings one way, it's going to snap back the other way. And as far as you go into that resentment, like debt, you're going to have to pay that back, you know, until you can come back to it and you're excited again. And so there's just parts of the job that like most of it is stuff I don't want to do, but I have to do, you know what I mean? Like, not that I don't love performing or touring and stuff, but it's stuff like if I had, if I had it my way, I'd be playing guitar in my pajamas on my couch, but you know, I'll put gel in my hair and I'll, you know, travel to another city and I'll do it there too. Do you know what I'm saying? But a lot of it's like, you know, you don't have the choice. You have to do things that you're not inspired to do and you have to kind of like get through it. But when you have a choice, 
I mean, at least when you have a choice, you might as well only do things that inspire you, you know, because yeah. the, re- the rest of the world will take care of the rest of the shit, yeah, you know? Absolutely, man. Uh, what What is it like to be completely freelance in both of your jobs? I I, I feel like I would be terrified, like Dude, not knowing exactly thing. where my paycheck was coming from. And Oh, God, it is so scary. And only like through like, honestly, like I talked to this counselor that I get so much advice from like, just like, so I, it's like somebody, cause without having a boss, like somebody I can go to and be like, okay, look, I know I was telling myself I wanted to tour in August, but this came up and I'm trying to figure out if I want to do this instead, should I do this? Or like, remind me again, why I would, you know, just somebody to like, kind of re- help you throw your thoughts back at you and kind of keep your own bigger picture in mind. Cause it, I can get lost like between creating performing and acting it's like holy shit you know what yeah. i'm saying but like th- th- that helps a lot because i need constant refocusing i sound like i know what i'm doing way more than i actually do because <laughs> most of the time i'm failing at this idea that i'm going for you know what i'm saying but like it's that constant desire to get there and um and then the other thing is financially like it took me forever to realize that like saving is way more important than bling because um when there's not work or when there's not a paycheck you just got to stay stress-free. And if that means like having a lot of money in your bank account, but like not as nice of a car, like that's the deal. You know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. like there's nothing worse than like, and I know so many people in LA like this that just like are driving like the coolest shit or just like blowing so much dough, but you, they better get a job next month. You know what I'm saying? And I just can't live with that stress. So that's the only way you can be freelance to, for me. Like, is like, know that you're good and you got a little cushion in case work doesn't come in. And like, try to like keep yourself focused and talk things out with somebody else. That's, that's, that's really awesome that you do that. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's so easy to get so caught up with your own problems and and tie so much emotion to it. And yet if somebody were to bring that exact same problem to you, you could look at it just crystal clear, like, Oh, Hey, that's not actually not that big of a deal. Just do this or just do that. You know, it's, uh, it's really great to have someone that you respect their opinion a lot that can give you advice like that. Yeah, because when you're looking at a problem objectively, like void of your own emotion, you can see it so clearly. And that's the thing is I love this so much and I care so much. Like I want this to happen for myself so much, whatever it is that I'm talking about, you know. And so like that clouds, you know, so much of what I do. So to have someone kind of be objective is like really great, especially when, like I said, there's no boss, which sounds great. But man, it can get it can get to be a wild west out there when you've just got an open schedule and it's up to you and like to utilize that, it's like, wow, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people would probably imagine uh, any level of fame to be a this amazing thing where all these people love you and yada, yada, yada. But I've always kind of thought of it uh, on the opposite side of that, which is I imagine it's a pretty isolating thing. Um, or particularly like in the jobs that you have, you go from town to town on tour, or you go from set to set with the show. I mean, you, you luckily have had a couple of long run TV shows where you stay with the same people. But do you feel like the path that you've chosen in life is is a somewhat isolating one? Yeah, I, for sure. But I think more interestingly is that like, I think that we are all um, isolate ourselves in certain ways. And then we all like have the ability to turn on in certain situations and it's in the ways it's in the it's at the times that we can do that that kind of helps decide what we end up doing well in life and for me the type of isolation that comes with fame and being a performer is something that i can easily manage and is right in line with the kind of isolation like i crave you know what i mean so like there's something that's like really shy about me and that like that that 
this kind of isolation justifies that. Do you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I'm such an extrovert. Like when asked questions or when given the time to talk, I mean, Jesus, listen to me. Like I, I can't stop talking. So <laughs> it's like, it's just the strangest thing. So like it is super isolating, but it's like, I've always thought like since I was a kid that it was like something that I could easily do and not like, not like, Oh, I want to be like a movie star, like really famous, but like actually as a job, I always thought like I can do that, you know, like that would feel really good to do that for me, you know? Yes. But, but, you know, it's not like people are chasing me around or like asking me for my autograph all the time. Like, you know, people like recognize me like when I go places, but it's like, you know, there's nothing I can't do, you know? And today yeah. I went to the subway shop. They gave me $2 off my subway because they were a fan of One Tree Hill. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> that I, rules, man. I don't know why, but they were just like 20% off. I love your show, man. I was like, that's the coolest, you know, I'm, that's how famous I am, you know, just that much. Yeah. <laughs> you get the subway discount. Like, like what more fame do you want? That's like the perfect, the perfect yeah. level of fame. I'm not flying private jets any place, but I'll get that. I'll get that, you know, hoagie discount. <laughs> For <laughs> sure, man. Absolutely. Um, is, how do you balance connecting with your fans and your personal privacy? It goes back and forth. Like, you know, the truth is like connecting with fans is like a twofold thing to me. It's like one, I, I like have deep appreciation for them, like validating something that's so scary to put out there. So like I immediately are connecting to them because I can't believe they're encouraging me to do this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. On the twofold thing is it's also like a business thing. And they're also like people that I want to like keep interested or they're people that I want to like, like me to a certain degree or like at least be entertained. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, of course, just like when we're talking to people like work or whatever, I almost feel like fans are like coworkers that I love eating lunch with, you know, they're people that I work with, but I love it, but they're still people I work with. So I try to like, you know, not, a. um, I, I just try to be discerning on what the difference between that is. And it's hard because the best art comes from being authentic. So it's for me, a constant battle of discerning what's the difference between something that's authentically me and something that's me personally, that probably doesn't need to be shared. Yeah. Like, you being this caricature of yourself, that's, that's gotta be so difficult, man. Like you want to be honest and let people in, but you can't just fricking let everyone in. Like you don't know, I don't know who they are or what the deal is. Yeah. Like it's totally, it's like, it's like seeing them like, having anyone see you like in your pajamas, like when you first wake up, you're like, I mean, that's reality. You know what I'm saying? But like, how much is that? Does it really matter if that's the authentic you, you put out? You know what I'm saying? There's so many kind of, but you do that with anyone. You do that with friends. You do that with your guy friends versus your wife or versus, you know, other friends. You kind of like decide which part of you you're going to show. But I really try to go back to my authentic well often with my fans. Cause I think I don't like people who fake it. I think faking it's like, just kind of annoying and like a waste of time. And if you got to do it, you got to do it. But the goal should be to try to like show yourself, you know, as scary as that is and as bad as I am at probably doing it, you know, like that's the goal, you know, and that's what I, yeah, that's what I try to do. You know, yeah. for most people, it's, it's pretty unnecessary to fake it. I mean, uh, there's so many people that fake it like in their office building, you know, yeah. that aren't celebrities and that's fully unnecessary. But yeah, like unless you're, uh, Brad Pitt or like Barack Obama or whatever. There's there's not really a need for you to fake it in front of people. Yeah. Um. So let's uh let's end off with a couple of pieces of advice. So first, if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice when you started down this this path of yours, is there any advice that you would want to go back and give yourself? Yeah, I would have probably told myself to not be as worried about what it what something I did made me look like and just be more worried about just like constantly creating and working. Everything I did was tied up in my identity, you know, from like 
but I think that might be adolescence, but like from the shoes I wear to whatever, I'd like everything had to describe me perfectly. You know what I'm saying? Including the jobs I took and the, you know, the, anything like that. And I would have been a lot more relaxed about that. I think for sure. Yeah. Um, that would have been the main thing. Okay. Cool, man. And then the second piece of advice. So I've already had a couple of musicians on the show. So let's go just on the acting front that if uh, there is somebody listening to this that wanted to break into acting, which is probably one of the more difficult uh, paths that you can decide to go down. What what advice would you give someone that wanted to be an actor or an actress? The the best advice I could give somebody if you like honestly wanted to like be on TV and like start acting like as soon as possible, I would say like move to L.A., call the Leslie Kahn acting studio and just like sign up for a class there. Cause she's amazing. She's so cool. Everyone, so many people I, I know have like gone through there and, um, there's tons of great acting classes in LA and around the country. They're all so like each in, each one is such individual style that you just have to kind of like figure it out and like try different ones until you find your one. But if you're just looking for the one that's going to help you like polish up you as it is now and get you auditioning, like Leslie Kahn is amazing. But that, so that's like, that's the most direct route that I could like absolutely give because there's such a community of actors there. And like, I don't know that like help each other out. It's a really crazy thing. But aside from Leslie Kahn, any acting class anywhere is going to have actors and you got to have access to actors because other actors are telling you what's going on. And, um, if you can be in an acting class in LA, then like most of those acting class teachers, like have connections with managers and agents. And there's very few people that are really, really good at acting that have their look on lockdown that, um, that aren't going to get a manager or an agent. You know, there's just so many managers and agents around too. I, I don't know. I feel maybe that's naive of me, but like if you're really killing it, you know, um, People like just love to like talk about people that they're working with that are really good and love to hook them up with other people they know. Yeah, so. no doubt, man. That is great, great advice. And thank you for the specific advice. I'll put a, a link to her um, acting school on the webpage. Yeah, uh, and, and it's not just it's not just because like of whatever. Like I've gone to a lot of classes here. I was just like really. Someone else asked me that advice recently about um, acting, and I and that, and it's the first thing that popped in my head. It's like I tell a singer songwriter, or I would have told them at the time before YouTube, like just go to as many open mics as you can. Cause there's nothing replaces playing. You know, you got to play and you got to play in front of people. Like you have to, and YouTube's the other one, like just do as many YouTube videos as you can. If you're just learning, you know, if yeah. you suck, you'll notice it when you watch it back. And that'll be so, <laughs> so like, this is the acting version of that. Just like go into a class, be so embarrassed and get up in front of your class and like do the worst scene and feel mortified and do that a million times. And then like, you'll be cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Tyler, this has been awesome, man. Thank you for your honesty and your awesome stories. Tell us about um, where we can find your most recent stuff. So you have that, your album is Indian Summer, correct? That's your most recent one? Yeah, actually, I just put out a new one. Uh, it's coming out in a couple of days. It's called Live in London. Oh, uh, damn. All right. Um, and uh, But all this stuff's on tylerhilton.com or you can follow me on Instagram. It's Tyler Hilton. Twitter's Tyler Hilton. And, you know, Facebook's Tyler Hilton. It's all, all that stuff. So... Um, I've got like, I'll be on tour in December and January and I'll have a new record coming out next year if I can keep myself focused and finish it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might have a uh, a screenplay that you have to write. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Tyler, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is such a cool podcast. Good luck, man. 
Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Just wanted to give you all a quick reminder that if you have any ideas for the show, be that a person that you would like me to interview or just a topic that you would like me to cover on the show and you want me to track someone down, or if you have a question for an episode like today's or any other episode that you were kind of biting your tongue and wishing that I had asked, you can submit all that through my website on the Submit Your Ideas link and I will either track down an old guest to ask those questions for you or find that new guest that you want to hear from. Thanks so much.